As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Now, like Mikel Arteta yesterday, we are recording this, by the way, the morning after the Southampton victory. Uh, so, like Mikel Arteta yesterday, and definitely not on Saturday, we are picked our strongest lineup for this podcast. The midfield generals, as ever, are James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. Hello, guys. Hello, Ian. Yeah, just wondering uh, about the midfield general. Um, well, uh, well, this okay. is opening up a whole can of worms. <laughs> Do you object to being a midfield? I mean, I haven't said which one is Partey and which one is Xhaka. Okay, so um, <laughs> uh, I see where this is going. Yeah, uh, and also we're joined by the Norwegian journalist Knut Espen Sveigarden, uh, hence to be known as Sveer, which is how he likes to be known. Uh, hello, Sveer. Hello. Uh, from the, you're from the uh, New Norwegian newspaper, Verden's Gang. And we want to talk to you particularly about the loan signing of... Um, now, I, again, I'm going to say Martin Odegaard. How is that in terms of pronunciation? That's uh, quite right. It's Martin Odegaard. But, uh, Do you know what? Fair enough. We, anyway. have, um, we have a sort of very hard language. So it's OK I mean, with what you said. Well, thank you. OK, Martin... I, you know, I'm not going to t attempt the Martin, but Martin Odegaard, uh, who signed on loan from Real Madrid. Now, we're going to talk to you about him because we want to know uh, what we're getting, essentially. But before we do that, um, we thought we'd uh, ask the opening question, which is about memorable uh, Scandinavian signings for Arsenal or Scandinavian moments, if you like. Um, I'm just going to put Freddie Lundberg out there because I know everyone will be thinking that. Uh, and obviously he went on to great success uh, as both an Arsenal player and an underpants model. Um, but uh, um, we'd like to go around the panel. So, um, Amy, I'll ask you first. Well, um, I, I want to go on too long, but I'm a bit worried this might be a slightly longish answer um, <laughs> with Svea sitting here waiting on the line from Norway. Um, but my first prob probably good memory of uh, Scandi players for Arsenal is Ziggy Jonsson, which those of us of a certain age will remember, who had unfeasibly sort of uh, white blonde hair, looked like he was chiselled out of some Icelandic rock and... Um, was a, was a much-loved player. He didn't play a great deal for Arsenal, but everyone thought he was fantastic. And he was one of the first foreign players that um, many of us had seen uh, play for Arsenal at that generation. So he is well-remembered. Um, I think I'm going to go left-field. Oh, Anderson Park obviously needs a huge mention. Um, he was just adored when he Can't arrived. believe it took you this long. Well, I'm just <laughs> trying to draw it out of it. And uh, I suppose of all the Anders moments, uh, the hat-trick to seal the title in 1991, where he um, got a great uh, great bunch of goals, but also he, he did four assists for Ian Wright one day, memorably, and the famous long-range lob in a 4-0 win against Liverpool lives on in the memory. Um, we all loved Anders. But I'm going to pick a real oddball one which is Kim Kellstrom. And he uh, 
joined with a bad back, some of you might remember, and almost didn't. He came on loan in January, a little bit like uh, Martin Odegaard, who might hopefully have some better luck in terms of minutes played for Arsenal. And he barely got any minutes at all, except for, com except for coming on in um, a semi-final of the FA Cup against Wigan. It was a terrible match and it went to penalties and he had a penalty. It was his one and only moment in an Arsenal shirt. And he wrote, if anybody wants to look this up, and I don't know if we've got the facility to put a link to this anywhere, um, that'd be down to producer Tayo. The most beautiful uh, recollection of his time and this experience, which was his, uh, his favourite 15 minutes of his career when he came on and scored this penalty. And um, it, it really struck me as sometimes a player can only kind of fleetingly appear at a club but it can leave an impression that really is life-changing for them. And he beautifully tells the story of when he comes on and it's a penalty shootout and then uh, Arsene Wenger comes up to him and says, I hear, he says, I hear Wenger shouting in French, Kim, do you take penalties? Yeah, I'll be glad to take one. Good, you're second. And like this whole kind of impression of being on the pitch and then he talks about, uh, about how he felt um, going up there. And uh, uh, and he said uh, that um, his contribution was small in the 120 year history of the club, but it was a highlight for me, the greatest 15 minutes of my life. And it turns out I don't remember what happened. Where was I in that deciding moment? Trance, shock, delirium, coma, nervous breakdown, call it whatever you want. The only thing I know for sure is that sports and football are incomprehensible. That's why we love it. As long as that penalty continues to end up in the net, my experience is true. I just thought it was great. How so lovely. Here's to Kim Kjellstrom. Well, quite interesting enough, Lucas Henningsen, we asked um, uh, the listeners to send in um, messages uh, to uh, handbreakoffpod at gmail.com. Lucas Henningsen talked about signing Kim Kjellstrom on uh, deadline day in January 2014. Uh, he said completely out of the blue, it was like a shock here in Sweden. Kim wasn't even a regular starter in the national team, and now he's going to play for my club. Even though his spell at Arsenal wasn't a masterclass, he still became some sort of cult player. Arsenal signing an injured player to replace an injured player. What is more Arsenal than that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough, Lucas. Um, and when you mention the end of Arsenal's trophy drought, Kim Kalstra's name will always be mentioned. Never, ever forget the FA Cup hero, Kim Kalstra. Best regards from Sweden. Thank you, Lucas. Uh, we appreciate that. And uh, yes, I'm sure uh, Amy accords with exactly what you said. Well, we all do. Um... Uh, Sway, I'll come to you next. Do you know much yeah. about Arsenal's Scandinavian signings? Oh, yeah, I do. Um, I think I've, I told Amy about uh, some of the stories about uh, Paul Lederson, who came to Arsenal, and uh, he really didn't uh, have the chance to knock out Lee Dixon or Nigel Winterburn. So... Difficult, right? Difficult yeah, for yeah. him. It was very difficult. And and he was sort of more of a halfback. He, he was sort of an... Uh, he usually played in on the left in a sort of a back three. And he didn't really fit in. And um, the story ended uh, like he went home and then he got a message that he should speak to a journalist in one of the London papers. And uh, he, as usual, said nothing. He said nothing <laughs> bad about uh, George Graham or Arsenal. But the day after, the story came out and it says, I hate George Graham. <laughs> and then uh, a right. colleague of mine, he just phoned that guy up and he asked, why did you write that? You haven't said it. And then the answer came, but that must be what he has thought. Wow. <laughs> yeah, well, welcome to British newspapers, uh, is yes. what I would say uh, to that, really. Um, uh, by the way, we do have some in the um, in, in the post bag as well, uh, some other uh, mentions, uh, but I want to ask uh, James, Favourite Scandinavian player moment for Arsenal? Uh, I mean, listen, like you said, there are so many. Freddie Jumberg once 
particularly that debut, you know, coming straight off the international we'd played for Sweden against England, he impressed so much there and then scoring against Manchester United. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. But uh, the one I was going to pick out was one that was actually also suggested by one of our listeners who's called at Skins505 on Twitter. And they said, Lord Bentner and his first touch North London derby moment. Uh, and it was quite incredible. I mean, he, he did not stop running. He came out as a substitute with the Arsenal having a corner against Tottenham. He did not stop moving until the ball arrived on his head and he put it in the back of the net. It must have been, you know, yeah. f- half, five or six seconds before he scored with the ball actually in play. So quite incredible. Can't look past uh, Nicholas Bentner. Although another of our listeners, Magnus Johansson, pointed out the last Norwegian to almost play for Arsenal was Havard Nordvet, who yes. Arsene Wenger right. apparently liked so much he went to Norway to watch him as a teenager at 16. Yeah. Um, right. I, I mean, yeah, you might know more about that than me, but I mean, it, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, he, he got close. He got close to playing, but I don't think it ever quite happened. No, he don't have any... Yeah, he don't have... Uh, I think Arsene Wenger went to see him 15 or 16 times when he was 16 years old. So there was much hope, but uh, he, he sort of he never got a game. No. Well, uh, well, I can only apologise. Has Norway. he had a good career elsewhere? Yeah, yeah, in, uh, in the Bundesliga. Right. Okay. And then he went to, he played some games for West Ham at right, Right back. Ah, uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, a, few uh, years ago. a couple of years ago, they played Man City, and he was really slaughtered. I think they lost six 0 or something like that. Um, I've got a couple of other uh, moments uh, here. Um, by the way, um, um, Rahan Kummer said my favourite Scandinavian-related moment would have to be Freddie finishing off my favourite ever assist by an Arsenal player against Juventus at Highbury. When we won 3-1, Freddie's goal in the 2002 FA Cup final came a close second. Um, uh, Rahan also said, just a quick note to say that Amy is a really fantastic journalist and a joy to listen to. Keep up the great work. Um, yeah, don't, you know, didn't say anything about me or you, James. But uh, no, that's well done, Amy. We're very happy for you. Um, Mark uh, Shatliff my favourite uh, Scandinavian moment is Stefan Schwartz free kick versus Sampdoria in the semi-final of the Cup Winners' Cup in 95. Love the pod, he said, Mark. Thank you, Mark. And um, Amy, you've been asking about this, um, but uh, Phil McCartney and probably many others actually uh, said, just started listening to this pod, enjoyed every, enjoying every minute. Thank you. My favourite memory has to be John Jensen's goal versus Queen's Park Rangers. <clears throat> Even though we lost the game and it was a bitterly cold uh, evening, the image of that shot curling into the top corner is a very special moment. I was sat with my dad and brother in the junior gunner section of the West End right next to the QPR fans. As we all erupted at the sight of the goal sailing in, I turned to see my dad, arms up, facing towards the away fans and celebrating wildly. Now, my dad is a quiet fellow, but this was the first time I'd ever seen him react so passionately. Needless to say, I loved it and I've enjoyed many magic moments at Arsenal with him since. Uh, thank you for those uh, by I, the way uh, I, do, I do think we there's a bit missing there it feels like we need to know what the QPR fans next to them responded with when they went 3-1 up I think you know this don't you Amy but go on well no I mean I'm just thinking that the, the the dad maybe got it in the neck from the QPR fans if he'd have been celebrating so overtly I think it's worth getting in the neck uh, when you're celebrating a goal by someone who hasn't scored for about 500 games or whatever. It was 100 and something. But anyway, um, well done, uh, that person's dad, um, Phil's dad, for uh, for celebrating in front of the Queen's Park Rangers fans. Uh, I should say also, by the way, throughout January, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts for less than one pound a week just go to the athletic.com forward slash arsenal pod to sign up and enjoy the athletic throughout 2021 that's the athletic.com forward slash arsenal pod now uh one of the main reasons we got swear on today was to talk about martin Erdegaard. our um Apparently, uh, Robin Erickson has written, said his, his last name, Odegaard, translates as desolate farm in Norwegian. 
Yes, that's right. Right, the name originated during and after the Black Plague had its way in Norway and many farmers became desolate. Just some cheer for your episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. This is outstanding work. Um, So let's talk about Martin Erdegaard. Amy asked you before the pod started, uh, have we signed a Gooden and uh, are we going to be happy with our signing? So are we? And where will he play? Uh, I think there will be a good signing if you're playing in the right uh, position. Which is? Which is... uh, Either out on the right, uh, that he can just cut in with his left foot, or uh, straight behind the striker. That's that's the two positions he has uh, he has played both for Norway and for uh, for um, Real Madrid and Real Sociedad. Uh, I'm just wondering, you know, when you have a, a young player like this, obviously he he first emerged to global attention with that big move at such a young age and then having this probably quite challenging period of trying to establish himself and develop with lots of loans different countries different experiences um first of all how do you think he handles all of that and second of all is there you know what does the future hold for him at what point does he become a you know a, a, a centerpiece for a major club whether that's real madrid or someone else you have to remember that um, he played his first uh, uh, first team game when he was uh, 12 years old. So he has sort of uh, played for uh, 8 to 10 years already in the, at the highest level in, in Norway and in uh, Spain. 12 years old, did you say, that he played? Yeah, he, he played sort of a practice game between his his team uh, Strömskotse and another local team. Right. And then he was just uh, twelve years old, uh, and that's because he uh, he he just was that fantastic with the ball, so he could do everything. And his main uh, force is that he can just pick the right pass at the right moment, at the right speed, at the right height. I think that's that's why he was just uh, picked up when he was 15. Even at that age, he had a huge reputation. I think Arsenal were interested in him when he was 15. You know, they, mm. there were lots of clubs who wanted to yeah, tag yeah, him at that yeah, time. Yeah. And uh, I think he even maybe came over to England and to Arsenal. I'm not sure for a short period, but... Uh, what I was going to ask you, Sven, was, you know, clearly this is a player who's got amazing uh, technical attributes and great intelligence. Some of the yes. questions I have seen of him have been more on the physical side. How do you think he will cope with kind of the physical demands of the Premier League? He has been sort of working with that the last couple of years to mm-hmm. get uh, stronger. But in my opinion... Um, he maybe lacks a little bit of sort of the temperament. Mm. I think he lacks something there. He he has to be a little bit uh, tougher, angrier, uh, or something like that. And not like Roy Keane, but uh, but sort of in a, a middle way. He, he has to be a little bit uh, uh, stronger in his head as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would hope the Premier League would would help in that regard. He'll have uh, people kicking him uh, a little bit. That's yeah, make him, yeah, yeah. Uh, make him angry. I was also reading a piece. We we were um, I was looking at an athletic piece uh, written by Dermot Corrigan and uh, Mark Carey, uh, talking about one. They talked about his fitness. Um, they also talked about um, he seems to play best in a four-two-three-one, um, and he's in the centre of the three. Would that be right? That that would be right, or on the right, as I as I said earlier, um, he has mostly played on the right side of the midfield in in the national team, and um, that has been good. Um, and the say- latest games he played up front together with the Holland. I must say, Amy, James, I don't know what you think, but but hearing about a Scandinavian player playing on the right of a three, of an attacking three in an Arsenal shirt, sounds quite promising, don't you think? 
I thought you were going to say it reminds you of when Nicholas Bentner played out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly Wrong. what I was going to say, James. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it does sound it does sound encouraging. I mean, Arsenal, it's interesting, Sveo's point about kind of the psychological aspect and the character aspect. We've just sort of moved on one incredibly gifted playmaker with the initials M.O., uh, where you know the technique was absolutely there and the characters maybe sometimes not. It'll be interesting to see how Odegaard contributes. I suppose I, I wonder. Do you think, Sve, that there's a chance that this could be a long-term move? Do you think his focus is on returning to Madrid and succeeding there, or do you think the Premier League will hold a big appeal for him? I think uh, no. He's twenty-two. Um, he has, as you said moved a lot um he needs uh, stability he, he he just needs to find one club that sort of um what i say let him be uh, the best uh, of himself and uh, then you need to have a coach like Guardiola or Arteta who can just see what he can do and I think Arsenal can be that exciting I mean it is it is exciting I mean if you were looking at yesterday's game against Southampton which I think we all agreed was more fun than watching Saturday's game um, and if we're talking about him playing on the right side of a three I, I mean he can't replace Bukayo Saka can he because I'm not sure anyone can at the moment no 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 but um I think he can he can uh, play on the left as well. Well, that's more encouraging. That's that's more encouraging, isn't it? Really, it gives yeah. us options, though. It gives Arsenal options. You know, in terms of being able to rotate those players. I mean, Arteta made the point after the Southampton game: you can't play a young player like Smith Rowe with his history of injury problems fifty times a season. You no, know, no, it's just no. not going to happen. So that's right. It feels natural that there'll be, you know, uh, the ability to rotate, to play one in some games, one in the other. Arsenal are still in the Europa League. There's a lot of fixtures coming up. So mm. I think everyone will, will get their chance. Uh, Sayer, can you pronounce one more time how we should say Martin Odegaard and then we'll sort of see if we can get it out into general circles? Uh, in Norway, we say Martin Odegaard. Okay. Uh, you Martin know what? Odegaard. <laughs> That's perfect. We'll record that and we'll just play it out. Uh, Swaya, thank you so much uh, for talking to us. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us here on Handbrake Off. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We better beat uh, with the handbrake at time. Thanks to Soya for joining us, telling us about uh, Martin O. Odegaard. <laughs> I'm never going to get that right. But, uh, you know, we can practice. Uh, hopefully we'll get to see him plenty of times. I mean, last night, uh, as I said, we're recording this the day after the Southampton game, um, an excellent performance. Uh, Bukayo Saka was uh, was chosen as man of the match yet again. Um, I don't think anyone's going to step in on the right anytime soon, James, are they? I wouldn't have thought so. And, and you know, a good performance as well from Nicola Pepe, I thought, albeit from the left-hand side, but he's another option on the right flank. I do think when it comes to Odegaard, he really is kind of the alternate to Smith-Rowe, isn't he? I think, you know, he, he has played a little bit deeper than that on occasion, but it's never gone particularly well from him. And it's interesting because, you know, not too long ago, only a few weeks ago, really, Arsenal were playing with 
a back three and a very different system, a very different shape. This team has tr changed quite dramatically, quite quickly, and it's left us with you know a need for a player in that area. So I'm glad we've got that option, and it'll be it'll be a battle really, I think, between Smith Rowe and Odegaard. I think they can play together, but Great. you're right, you know, <clears throat> displacing Saka from the right hand side at the moment just seems unthinkable because he's been absolutely outstanding and against Southampton. He was exemplary. I mean, a goal and an assist off his weaker right foot. Oh, it doesn't get much pass. better than that. That pass, yeah. Amy. I mean, my God. We watch him and we sort of expect this magic. It was a great crossfield ball from uh, from Cedric. I mean, a beautiful pass, uh, which, uh, by the way, I, as I was watching it, I thought, I'm not sure Kieran Tierney can do that. Um, I mean, I love having Kieran Tierney in the side. Um, but... Uh, the pass from Cedric was great, as I say, but the, the, the pass from Saka was just just gorgeous, wasn't it? He is so phenomenal. And yeah. the consistency with which he achieves that is a, a, such a blessing for Arsenal. And I just think that business of being able to do things so quickly has been what's transformed Arsenal in these last few weeks. And yes, there's been the change of, of strategy and formation, but... It felt like if you if you had two sort of screens up at the same time and you put, I don't know, one of the really crappy pedestrian uh, games that seemed to merge into one from the really terrible run next to last night's game, it felt like it was on fast forward compared to the yeah, kind of football that Arsenal were playing not so long ago. And everybody is doing something with high energy and no one really exemplifies that as much to an extent as Saka and, and to be able to use your wrong foot at speed when you're running full pelt like that is remarkable um I don't know whether people even at Arsenal knew he had that in him when he was coming through uh, to have tuned himself up to that degree with both feet at full speed and making great decisions I I, I thought his goal was incredible yeah. because yeah, the balance I just, I was, I mean, I, I was talking to one of my kids about it and imagining that if I tried to do something like that, I would have fallen over like <laughs> so early into the move. And I know that's a bad example, but to be at full pelt like that and the decision making and the accuracy and the power he got on the shot, sort of almost before he steadied himself, like almost everybody, even on their right is trying to take another touch there maybe and then maybe ending up too wide but the the capacity he had to think I'm taking this immediately um, and then executing it was just outstanding and as I said indicative of this thing that what excites me most about what Arsenal are doing at the moment and I'm not going to be an idiot and get carried away and think right going to win every game here and try and get in the top four and it's all changed. I mean, God only knows there's enough twists and turns to come in this season and problems to overcome and things that will go well and won't go well. The team is still so much in the evolution. But to be able to go away from home to a difficult opponent like that, which usually ended badly in recent seasons, um, and more than take the game, to Southampton. Um, well, to go one nil down and then yeah. take the game to Southampton. I agree. And and, and, and and it was down to that high energy, um, which seems to be a bit infectious. I mean, you know, even Granite Xhaka is making quick forward passes. Let's be honest here. <laughs> yes. He is. There's no doubt. I mean, it's, James is what I spoke to you uh, last week about was uh, tempo, and uh, and that's that's really the way we're playing. Anyway, all good. All good, and uh, we're on a run of uh, five wins out of six in the Premier League, and we're up to the heady heights of eighth. And uh, let's hope it continues, because we've got a very, very tough run. What we wanted to talk about this week, specifically, uh, because uh, Martin Erdegaard has, uh, has arrived, Socrates has left, Ozil has left, it looks like Mustafi may well be leaving, is a general uh, chat about transfer strategy. Um, James, I'm going to ask you first, how does it work at the moment? I mean, the, who gives? Who makes the basic decisions? Well, it's changed. It's changed a lot over the last few years. It's changed certainly a lot since Arsene Wenger's day. And as we know, there's been that kind of revolving door of executive staff and decision makers. The current setup is, let's describe it as slimline. I mean, it's the smallest <laughs> recruitment department Arsenal have ever had. Uh, we all probably remember there was the redundancies that occurred in the summer of last year, which involved you know the vast majority of the scouting network. Uh, they left the club 
obviously in a coronavirus landscape there isn't huge scope for people to go out and watch games in the flesh so I think that factored into that decision but also I think it was a case of Edu sort of wanting to put a new broom through the department um, and not necessarily get his own people in because the people he's working with predominantly were there before him but just reduce the size of his team so that he can look at you know where he's strong where he's weak and where he wants to change it ultimately it's it's in Edu's hands and Mikel Arteta's appointment as manager rather than coach changes that dynamic slightly it means that they're working more together more in tandem but in terms of sort of the squad building and taking a kind of mid-term view looking at you know every position is there a succession plan for the next three to five years that's Edu's job that's Edu's role it's his bag and it's an interesting period isn't it because you know he was in that role with Rouse and Yehi kind of above him as head of football Rao's not there anymore so this really is kind of the time where Edu I think can properly be judged on the work he's doing I mean Amy Arsenal's transfer uh, strategy and, and the way it worked in the past was essentially Arsene Wenger identifying a player and David Dean going and sorting it out right I mean it was just the two of them isn't that the most efficient way of doing things uh, I guess so. If you've got the, if the manager has the eye and the and the connections and the time to know everybody uh, that the, he should be looking at, and the um, fixer or the wheeler dealer has got the skills to get difficult deals over the line, and I mean it was um, the blueprint for an unbelievably successful period in terms of transfers for Arsenal. I mean, you look at. at, at being able to recruit Patrick Vieira for four million, three and a half million quid. Uh, you look at bringing in Anelka for a fairly cursory amount uh, for Paris Saint-Germain for, for educating him and then selling him to Real Madrid. It's for also about 20 the resale. million quid or whatever it was. The resale the, the, value is, is is also important. Yeah, but here Arsenal, as well, isn't it? it is. But at the moment, resale value is uh, something that Arsenal are having to write off. So I, I think I'm I'm curious to see. It looks like it's been quite an interesting window for Arsenal and that they have achieved some of the things that they want, which is reducing the bloated squad. And that only way that they could do that essentially was to give people away or pay them off. Um, there's been no in no real income saved and there's been nothing generated. And that's a tough one to stomach when you're not getting any money from gate receipts and um, Arsenal are clearly in a difficult situation, hence taking out that Bank of England loan recently. Um to bring in a, a guy like Odegaard in this market, I think, is is fantastic. It's a real bonus. If they can possibly get one or two more out the door, I'm sure they'll try and do that at the moment. But next, the next summer window, to me, is a fascinating one. Yes. You know, sooner or later, Arsenal have to have a transfer window that's not emergency time, like, help, what do we do right now? Like, there doesn't seem to have been a long-term strategy. Every window has had its own flavour. Some of them have been pretty, pretty taste uh, uh, bad on the taste front. But however, it's it's time, and now seems like a good one, that Arsenal uh, really try and come up with a proper plan that's cohesive, that helps team building beyond what we're going to do for the next three months till the next window. What what can we do to minimise the you know to to still to sort out the mess that we've been left with and try and start helping things for the future um, in a more uh, orderly way, let's say, than, than than it has been for a while. But of course, the problem for that, that is money. Because, because it, you know, there are a bunch of players whose contracts are expiring or they'll have a year to go come the summer. So there's an expected amount of churn. But how much money is going to come in for those players? It's really difficult to predict at the moment, but probably not much. So it's feasible, I think, Arsenal have to go... Uh, to the owners again and see if there's um, something that can be passed their way, whether it's a loan or or some other way uh, from the Cronkies to to have some funds for the summer because I think they might need it. I mean, I, I I mean, James, you said the scouting department has been I mean decimated is not the right word, but it, certainly people have been let go. Um, is it your view that we're short in that department? Well, like I said, there's a there's a pure practicality issue at the moment in terms of. You know, scouts aren't actually allowed access to a lot of games currently. Um, there are some who are getting in on the continent to games, but usually it's via connection if they know the directors, things like that. But, you know, just turning up and sort of getting your scouting ticket as you could in an ordinary landscape isn't really possible. So Arsenal are, 
you know, they're doing a lot more video work, um, which has limitations. And if you speak to people who've been scouts for a long time, you know, they'll say, if you want to watch a centre half, but you only get video clips, there's only so much you can learn about the player. But the Once highlights the, real. Is what yeah, effectively. Or, you know, just things that you miss off the ball or when the yeah, ball's at the other end of the pitch, how's their positioning? Do they hold the line? You know, these issues are important. And so watching a player in the flesh should be a part of any process. And I'd like to think Edu realises that and respects that. Um, and that once, you know, f- football resumes with crowds and we're able to get more access, I'd like to think that team will be built out because I think it is an important component in any recruitment process. There are different there are different sort of things that feed into it. So there's that, obviously, there's the live scouting component. There's the data and analytics component, which, you know, Arsenal, it's interesting. They, they bought StatDNA a few years ago when Ivan Gazoulis was chief executive. And, you know, they, they, in theory, have more access to data, more access to analytics than the vast majority of clubs. They've basically got an internal company working on it for them. But it, it maybe it hasn't been used. Um, there's not always been great synchronicity, shall we say, between departments. You know, I think there's been a tension in the past between scouting and statistics. And I think they kind of see each other as each other's <laughs> yes. natural enemies. You can kind of imagine the dynamic, you know. It's a Moneyball um, thing going yeah, on here. If you haven't yeah. seen the film Moneyball, this is sort of essentially what's it about. Or yeah, there's a great about? there's a great scene in that movie where like the numbers guys first come in and they sit around the table and the old scouts are incredibly dismissive. And I think that is something a conversation that's happening not just at Arsenal, but sort of throughout football. Um, but I think something that Edu seemingly, this is what he's on the record saying, wants to do is to try and integrate those things more successfully and use video as well as part of that. So it's kind of a, a three-part strategy where you've got video, you've got live scouting, and you've got statistics. And between those, Join. you arrive at your, your list of targets. Amy's joined up thinking, right? When you see a player like Thomas Partey and the way he played last night and what he can bring to our team. And by the way, I'm tremendously excited to have him in our team because everything seems to be played further up the pitch. But let's talk specifically then about Thomas Partey. <clears throat> We'd looked at him for quite some time, but how would it work with someone like him? How would it work? What do you mean? In, in terms how, how... of identifying that we need a player in that position, we look around <laughs> Europe, we go, he's the one we want. Do we have enough money? No. Okay, what's the next best option for the money that we've got? I think identifying is the that there's a need in that position, you know, uh, like anyone with eyes could have done over <laughs> we have recent identified years. That Don't for think quite you needed to be time. a specialist. That's true. Um, I, I, I think there's also a sort of uh, slight uh, kind of fantasy idea that that these things happen suddenly. I think that any football club uh, who has any sense whatsoever has to have. A, an ongoing list of targets in pretty much all positions. Um, and it's probably a bit naive to think that doesn't exist. I'm sure those lists are changeable. Uh, I'd like to think that the people are updating them all the time with all the best information. But I, I think a lot of clubs will have a baseline where they've got a certain number of players of di- slightly different profiles that they've got their eye on, let's just say. Um, Maybe if you've got a certain position like the Partey position, you might have a couple of options in in slightly different age brackets or coming from slightly different leagues or slightly different physical profiles or whatever it might be. And then in the end, when the the time uh, is is pressing to reinforce in that particular department, um, it's a case of looking at who the best options are. A lot depends on contractual situations. I mean, clearly in Partey's case, uh, it wouldn't have been a secret to Arsenal or anybody else that he had this release clause of exactly how much it was and what was necessary to secure that and how long his contract was, etc., etc. These things are all factored in, um, and in a you know, there's probably dozens of players over each window where there's sliding doors moments that don't quite work out for whichever reason, uh, and clubs are always very happy when they secure their first choice in a particular position and I think they were very clear in saying that Partey was their first choice um, in this in this last window for that position and totally agree with you and it's it's really it's not just exciting there's something that's almost a relief to have a player like that in the heart of the team and it doesn't look like he's quite fit or quite settled yet no. that's still coming so you feel like there is 
just hopefully a, a, an increasingly upward trajectory for him for a little while to come until he's perhaps at his most comfortable and most settled. And um, But he brings uh, a new dimension for sure to Arsenal's midfield. And I think it's not a coincidence that Xhaka does look um, revived uh, a little yes. bit playing alongside him. And I do remember speaking to a, a Swiss uh, journalist pal a little while ago about Xhaka and yeah, he's always been this slightly divisive uh, character in terms of how he plays and 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 his slightly his, his specific attributes. <laughs> but this guy, I thought it was interesting. Said a couple of things about Xhaka, which are related to Party, which is one of which is that he will try and do too much in a, in a in a especially if the team is struggling. Now, if you've got Partey next to you, he maybe doesn't have to try to do too much compared to. Uh, other times um and he also is a guy who will benefit i think from uh you know if the blend is right in midfield if he isn't having to overexert to try and cover too many um uh, responsibilities within the game then that's where you can see the best of him so in a way Partey coming in has obviously helped arsenal because he's great but it's also helping in that Xhaka is better yeah um, I mean, on the other hand, Partey obviously was an established uh, player at Atletico and obviously you can go and have a look at him and he's playing at the highest level. Someone like Gabriel Martinelli, uh, James, um, he's a young player playing in Brazil. How does that sort of stuff work? I mean, do we have a, an extensive Brazilian scouting network or did we? Well, it's really interesting because when the redundancies were made in the scouting department and even the, a lot of the casual scouts were kind of let go, uh, the two scouts that Arsenal have in South America were kept on. Uh, and I do wonder if that was kind of with one eye on the fact that, you know, after Brexit, the regulations which permit South Americans to come to the Premier League are a lot easier to qualify for, basically. You can get a, a work permit uh, for a South American, Argentinian, Brazilian, I think Chile, I think it's those three nations who qualify most easily with much, much greater ease than you could previously. And given Edu's connections in that market, I do wonder if that's something Arsenal will look to exploit. But, you know, Martinelli is a great example, a kind of victory for traditional scouting because he was playing in the fourth tier of Brazilian football with Ituano. Those are games where there is no kind of data set from which you can extrapolate statistical views about a player. Um, he did play in the Copinha, I think it's called, which is a kind of, um, as far as I understand it, it's like a, a state championship where young players sometimes get the opportunity to play and it means that you can play against a, great, a better opposition and certainly senior pros. He shone there, that raised his profile. But he's a great example of what Amy said. She's absolutely right. Nothing happens overnight. It's very rare that a club, maybe on deadline day, if it's a bit of a panic, will turn up at, at another club's door and say, by the way, we're interested in this player. He doesn't know yet uh, that we just decided today, can we do a deal? In Martinelli's case, you know, Arsenal effectively put a down payment on the player, which enabled them for, to have first option when he turned 18, uh, because he would be unable to leave Brazil to come to the UK before he was 18. Arsenal paid, I think, sort of several million pounds for that option. Uh, and they might have done so and not completed the deal. It was a pretty hefty deposit. But, you know, they did that because they were convinced by the player. They were convinced by his potential. And the pursuit, all in all, I think went on for about six months or something like that. So that is not unusual. And even Odegaard, as I mentioned in part one, you know, he's someone who Arsenal knew as a teenager. And I think Edu and his team have basically been across him and, and, and looking at him as a potential target since he was on loan at Sociedad last year. So, you know, this is a, a long game, but I think Amy's right as well when she says it hasn't seemed like there's been a long-term plan for too long. And I, I'm just hoping that's due to turnover of staff. And if we can get some sort of consistency in the people making the decisions, maybe we'll see some kind of longer-term vision actually play out. Amy, um, I mean, James mentioned uh, Mikel Arteta at the start of this chat, but we haven't talked about him since then. Um I mean, how much of a role does the manager play in this? I mean, obviously it's crucial in the sense that he knows the sort of thing he wants to do with his team and he would tell Edu what, you know, what he'd like to do with his team. But really, 
is it a partnership? I mean, it's a partnership, really, isn't it? Or, or Edu is more important? Or how does it work? I think that the the most recent times when they've discussed it and, and uh, elaborated on it, they certainly present it as much more of a fluid conversation than they have defined roles or one is in charge and the other is acting at their behest. Uh, I, I mean, in a dream scenario, I think if you've got a coach um, or manager who you feel very committed to for a very long period of time and so do they to the club, then, it, you know, if you haven't got someone else uh, within the club whose role is exactly about utilising very specific expertise in uh, talent spotting and, you, you know, ha- ha- the technical side of, of dealing with the squad, um it may, you know, utilising Arteta's eye and judgment is probably a good idea. So it only works insofar as that, you know, Edu and Arteta are going to be working together in tandem for a long time to come. If there is a, a, an ideal to get a plan together to, you know, here's the one year plan for Arsenal's transfer strategy. Here's the three year plan and here's the sort of five year plan, you know, and you're working with different potential budgets which obviously at the moment is really really significant um and different sort of maybe uh elements to do with how successful the team is all these things can affect how you can act in the transfer window and how you can squad build so you have to have a range of options um but i think at the moment you know arteta and eddie working together let's see how it goes it's such early days um but you know the the this it, this is an evolving squad and they're going to be judged obviously and to an extent if you look at it they're judged in di- very different ways say on Willian um to the way they might be judged on, on on other players who came in but clearly someone like Tierney or Martinelli uh predate Arteta being involved in in those um, incomings. Parte again is going to be judged as as very much uh, part of the plan that is um, being presented by Edwin Arteta together. So you have to prob- we probably need a slightly bigger sample size before we can figure out how well they're doing. Yes, yes, quite. Uh, this is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by the Athletic. Myself, James McNicholas, and Amy Lawrence here with you. Now, are you stuck at home? bored of Netflix and realise there's a reason people only play Scrabble once a year? Well, The Athletic is coming to your rescue. With the help of our friends at Prostate Cancer UK, we'll be putting on 31 football quizzes across February and March to find our most knowledgeable subscriber. And of course, to raise money for a very important cause, Prostate Cancer UK helps fund life-saving research and provides valuable support and information for men and their partners affected or worried about prostate cancer. We'll be encouraging you to donate money on the night for a great cause. We're running a quiz for every team we cover, which of course includes Arsenal. The winners of each quiz will go through to our grand final at the end of March, where there is a very nice £1,000 up for grabs, and we will match this with the donation to Prostate Cancer UK. The quizzes will be hosted by the correspondent for that club or league, and you'll be able to team up with anyone in your household to play. Sign up for a free 30-day trial with The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash PCUK and register to play the quiz. That's The Athletic com forward slash PCUK. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
we better beat uh, with the handbrake at time. As I said, this handbrake off myself, Amy Lawrence, and James McNicholas. Um, James, uh, you wrote a piece about um, Matt Ryan, our, our new um, second choice goalkeeper. Would that be right, by the way? Is he our new second choice goalkeeper? Yeah, he is. He, he was on the bench for the Southampton game. Well, both uh, goalkeepers were on the bench for the Southampton game. Well, they? the Premier League game. Yeah, both were on the bench for the FA Cup game. That's true. But he, yeah, he comes in ahead of Alex Renarsson as the second choice. Renarsson is free to go on loan if there is sufficient interest in him. Uh, and yeah, it's a really, I mean, I think it's a pretty decent deal really for Arsenal to do in the circumstances. I mean, Matt Ryan has not had a good season. He lost you his talked- place with Brighton. You talked about his stats, which which yeah. don't really hold up particularly well. No, they don't. They're not from a numbers point of view. It doesn't look good, but there are other factors sometimes in why you make a signing. And I think Arsenal just felt they needed somebody with some Premier League experience. You know, it's a kind of break glass in case of emergency or if Bern Leno is injured. Uh, and I think you know Ryan's played fairly consistently for Brighton over sort of three or four seasons. Yes. Um, I just think it, it helps to have someone there who has played in the Premier League before, who's reliable. I mean, if all goes well, Matt Ryan will probably not play for Arsenal in this six-month loan spell. But I just think having some cover there that, and I don't mean this to sound cruel, that isn't Renarsson, uh, just provides that bit of security. It doesn't sound cruel to me, Amy. It sounds practical, really, having seen Renarsson come in and look a little bit uh, uh, out of his depth sometimes. Yeah, I think there's, you know, I mean, Leno was amazing again against Southampton. Uh, He's been superb lately. And when you consider how important he's been, and I think his role is evolving in the way that he's playing a bit quicker uh, to progress the ball as well. It's part of that whole speeding up of things. He's he's developing in that way too. Uh, He's great at the moment. And to have a kind of huge drop in quality if something happened to him, potentially for you know, weeks and months, you know, be dreadful if he suddenly got a serious injury. Yes. I think to put someone as an experience as Renarsson in to those sort of high profile games and that's your only cover more or less apart from going into the into the youth ranks would have been um probably quite negligent if Arsenal had left themselves in that position. So they did the right thing in finding someone who has proper Premier League experience. And I'm a sucker for the fact that he's a, a, a childhood Arsenal fan. Yes. And when James Sermon said, oh, hopefully he won't play, I know uh, there's a tiny bit of me, I'd love him to have a game or a bit a of a game because I'm sure it would mean the world to him if he actually... If we beat Benfica 8-0 in the first leg, <laughs> yeah. by all means, he can play in the second. No, I, I like that. I think we'd so, all settle for this scenario. Yeah, yeah, I mean, listen, you know, we loved it when Carl Jenkinson came to Arsenal and played and it was a fan in the first team. And we're fortunate that we have a lot, you know, boys, uh, players who've been associated with the club since they were kids. And even if they weren't Arsenal fans originally, I think it's the adopted club of their heart. But... Matt Ryan's a guy who woke up, you know, in the middle of the night. The in middle Australia of the night, exactly. Yeah, to watch his to watch his team play, and I mean, you know, you spoke about Kim Shelstrom earlier, Amy, and how much it meant to him to come to Arsenal for just you know that six month loan spell and what that fifteen minutes meant to him in the sort of scale of his career. If Matt Ryan gets on for fifteen minutes at Arsenal, mm. I think it really will mean the world to him. Yeah, uh, it would be nice to see. Um, now, Art de Roche, by the way, uh, uh, a guest on this show on occasion, uh, wrote a piece, uh, which I read this morning, about uh, the new leaders in the Arsenal team. Um, he mentioned David Luiz, uh, Granit Xhaka, Bukayo Saka. But one person I'd like to talk about, Amy, is uh, Rob Holding, um, who is emerging uh, as the as a possible captain material in future. Maybe. Um, I, I think that the most critical thing is he's emerging as a, you know, a centre-back that Arsenal can really depend on. And he's risen to the fact that he's had a period of games uninterrupted and he's growing with that experience. And I often think it's an underrated thing in the modern game where there's so much rotation that if you're trying to, uh, you know, to find your feet in a, in a team, having a bunch of games in a row can be that platform. Uh, it can be... a, a a testing one if it doesn't go well but at the same time if it does it can be the making of you and it feels like this period recently has really shown a uh, an upsurge in Rob Holding's 
not just performances on the pitch, but just his sense of belonging, of responsibility. And he does play with a big sense of responsibility. He's a good lad and um, a strong character. And he shows that in not just the way he plays, but in the way he speaks. He's quite vocal. And it's important to have a few vocal players out there, particularly in that kind of position. I noticed it in the Newcastle game that 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 kind of core, uh, that triangle that Lee Dixon sometimes talks about, about yes. the goalkeeper and the two centre-backs, were all shouting quite a lot, certainly a lot more than they were early on in the season. And um, I think he's found his voice as well as his feet in the team, Rob Holding, and that has to be a good thing. Very encouraging, James. I mean, it was interesting. I thought that uh, Art wrote the piece uh, uh, talking about leaders and he named four players there. Um, I mean, we've often been um, accused of lacking leadership, but it, it's starting to not feel that way anymore. Yeah, and, and it really is one of the most sort of telling differences between that bad run we went on and this good run is how much more vocal the team are. And I think, you know, part of that comes with confidence too. You know, as Amy says, you find your feet suddenly you find your voice. But Rob Holding has been really one of the success stories of the season. And I think something, sometimes something that we overlook in analysis of him is that he did come back from a very, very serious injury. And if he looked short, you know, or looked quite off the pace at times when he first came back, well, there's a pretty clear explanation for that. And he's 25 now. He's been with the club for some time. He's coming into kind of the prime of his career. He's got that new contract. I really do think that he has kind of exceeded all expectations this year and been sort of quietly, you know, one of the real unsung heroes of this Arsenal team. He's played an awful lot of minutes as well. I mean, he must be one of the first name on Mikel Arteta's team sheets yeah. at the moment. Yeah, I think we'd all have him in the team uh, at the moment. Uh, Amy, I know you wrote a piece about Mesut Ozil. We did talk uh, a lot about um, Mesut Ozil uh, last week, but uh, I, I would urge uh, readers in The Athletic to uh, have a look if you need some closure, which I think we all do. Um, that was a kind of big point. team effort, though, by the way. That was like everybody wrote that, who well, writes about Arsenal. You were, you were part, Arsenal, but... So to speak. I, Yes, I think it probably needed a lot of people <laughs> to generally <laughs> just get their feelings out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we did talk about that last week. Uh, so now on Handbrake Off, it's time for your favourite game, I think. Uh, the Random Ask Generator. We've made it to week three. I forgot uh, about this. <laughs> uh, after, uh, after <laughs> Can Nelson it be Silver again? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'd love to... Talk I to think it's going to be facts. Scandi. I think Tyo's throwing a Scandi at us. Well, all right. Hang on a minute. Uh, we're, it, um, anyway, we are week three. A uh, recap of the rules, if you can call them rules. Tyo will, any second now, send me a name and we'll go round the room uh, basically uh, uh, with a nugget, a fact, a memory or anything that comes to mind until the conversation grinds to a juddering halt. Uh, so I'm now waiting for Tao to send me uh, today's subject. And uh, he said it was going to be a Scandi, but... And so um, I like this tension, don't you? We almost need a drum roll. I imagine, Tao, you can find some sort of drum roll to put in. Uh, anyway, who is it? It's okay. It is, in fact, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. Lord, I am so out of my depth here. Amy, we'll start with you. Well, oh, it's, it's, this is a really bad thing. But the first thing that came into my mind, I feel like it should be something a lot better than this, is reading an interview with him when he had moved from Arsenal to Barcelona. And in this interview, he said that having spoken to his new teammates, they all said if Arsenal um, had gone 2-0 up in the Champions League final of 2006 uh, and there were a couple of very good chances to do so, that there's no way Barcelona would have come back from that and that they would have all thrown in the towel. Oh. And I feel like I should come up with something much more positive, but for some Next reason, time round. Next Giovanni, time round. that's the first thing I thought of when I yeah. heard your name. Same, oh, I thought heck. he played against us, didn't he, in 2006. Um, but I suppose, I mean, you've got to, we just talked about crucial ligament injuries. I would say crucial ligament injury, he suffered one pretty early on, didn't he, in his Arsenal career, I think after a few months, and it sidelined him for a... A good old spell. Um, and unfortunately, that kind of defined, I think, his time at Arsenal was, you know, that injury, the fact that he never quite 
settled and never quite yeah. looked like the player he did elsewhere. I remember a goal he scored um, where Thierry Henry, I believe, passed him the ball and he, he took it really, really early. Far too early, I felt. This is Van Bronckhorst. Van Bronckhorst drive! Oh, it's a super goal! But it arrowed into the bottom corner and I thought, oh, he, oh he's a decent, decent player. But like you say, the injury's got to him. Um, I might throw in that he he played a lot for the Dutch national team. In fact, I've got a funny feeling he might be one of their centurions. So if he got over 100 caps, that's pretty impressive by anybody's standards. That is, playing for a team like uh, like uh, Holland. Uh, what, about, uh, what about you, James? I am thinking of a goal that he scored for Holland. Uh... Was it in Euro 2008 or 2010 World Cup? An absolutely incredible goal from out on the left wing where he smashed it in the far top corner. Um, but I can't be specific about it, so I'm running dry here. He's a manager in China. He's a manager in China. He Great manages, knowledge. Uh, uh, I want to say, I want to say, well, I can't pronounce it. That's the only reason I won't say. <laughs> no, I think it's Gangzhou or Guangzhou, something like yeah, that. Okay. Um, yeah. I do know. I do know. By the way, that he actually capped in Holland in the uh, in the World Cup final because uh, I remember he? him. Yes, I remember him coming out. I'm thinking, oh, there's uh, Giovanni. So uh, uh, if you remember that uh, World Cup final where they tried to kick Spain off the pitch, uh, well, he was the captain of that team. Is <laughs> it not there anymore? No, I'm out. I think uh, he was Sorry, sort of Gio. supposed to be the Emmanuel Petit replacement, was he? I feel like... Oh, no, it was later than that. He was signed he as signed. a midfielder. I believe he was signed as a midfielder. But he, he ended was... up sort of... Look, he ended up uh, uh, deputising for Ashley Cole sometimes. He did. I think he ended up playing probably more at left-back than he did in central midfield. But that was where he played at Rangers. I'm and out. Where he had, a, he had a reputation for scoring spectacular goals yes. at Rangers. Um, but I don't know if he, there were many at Arsenal. I'm completely out at this point. Uh, I don't know who... Uh, I, I, don't, I could declare a winner... <laughs> I don't think. I, mean, I don't know if anybody won that one. I uh, I, I will call that an honourable draw. But uh, there you go, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. This is more difficult than I thought this game would be. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, we're going to go uh, in a second. Before we do, let's have a song. By the way, uh, Ran Karma, who wrote to us earlier about uh, uh, Freddie Lundberg goal, um, song choice only one for me. Take on me by our heart. You are the things I've got. suggested uh, by quite a few people. Nice Scandinavian theme there. Amy, what have you got? I'm going to go Norwegian as well. Um, there's a band called Data Rock, a kind of, uh, uh, I suppose, electronic uh, sort of rock uh, band that I loved a song that, that I heard on the radio years ago called Far, Far, Far. Um, uh, and according to their website, it says Data Rock were formed by four friends on a rainy afternoon beneath a tree on top of Mount Fluyen in Norway's <laughs> second largest city. And if that doesn't encourage you to go and seek them out, I don't know what does. But Far 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 is a great track. It's got brilliant energy and we were quite high energy lately. So that's my choice. I nearly went for even Thomas's high energy in the spirit of the game at Southampton. Okay, James. 1980s upbeat number. Yeah, yeah, that would have worked. But uh, I, I think we have to go with far, far, far. Uh, James, what about you? My associations with Scandinavian music are sort of more lowbrow. It makes me think of Eurovision immediately. Um, and I'm not saying this is a good song, but in 2009, Norway won. Eurovision 
And the singer was Alexander Ryback, and he's a sort of he had sort of boyish elfin looks, not unlike those of uh, young Martin. And he sang a song called Fairy Tale, which, while quite bad, is very catchy. So I will say that, and let's hope that Odegaard has a little fairy tale of his own in North London. Okay, I'm I'm continuing with the uh, the youth uh, theme just because. <laughs> How unlike you, Ian. <laughs> I know, I know, but only because I, I, I watched last night and I and this watching Emil Smith Rowe and Bukayo Saka just fills me with joy, which I haven't had for quite some time uh, watching Arsenal. I've been, well, not since we won the FA Cup. Um, so I'm going to have uh, Young Hearts Run Free, Soul Classic, Candy Staten. Uh, that's it. Uh, this has been uh, Handbrake uh, Off. Uh, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by, by The Athletic. Thank you to Swear from uh, uh, from Norway for joining us, talking about Martin Erdegaard. Thank you to Amy and James, and thank you to Teo, our producer. I'm Ian Stone. See you soon. <laughs>